Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com, for your next flight away. Hello and welcome to the Women Today podcast, a look back at some of the show's highlights this week. That is, uh, again, that's all stores there. This is stores from last year. And this bit here is, is pollen, there's yellow pollen there. There's nectar in here as well. Um, but uh, the, the bees are healthy. I mean, look at them there. They're not aggressive. Well, thank you very much to Dave Armstrong for that clip, which is from a forthcoming documentary called The Bees Plan, and it's all about supporting the health and welfare of bee populations here in the Isle of Man. And we are talking about beekeeping this afternoon. Our guest is the president of the Isle of Man Beekeepers Federation, Harry Owens. And we heard you there, Harry, talking Mm -hmm. about um, the hum. If you hear a moan, it's not so good. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to your own individual hives, can you tell them apart from other people's hives? Have they got a very distinctive sound? Well, not not that, but uh, you can tell how they react to you. Um, I, one of the things that you'll find, or some people want to be interfering with the bees frequently, and I mean quite often, and the bees react to that. You need to be quite sensible in how long, how often you, you go into the bees, and at the same time, you've got to be very gentle with bees because they react to you, what you do to them. I mean, when you're all said and done, you're, you're taking the lid off your house for starters and things like that and saying, point of point, say, I'm looking in here and there and everywhere. And I suppose you wouldn't like that. <laughs> you were in bed, for instance, and they just say, right, throw the covers off you or something. <laughs> but, well, yeah. So there are about, what, 130 beekeepers here on the yes, island. roughly, um, yeah. And we have heard in, in recent times about just how important yeah. bees are to the environment, to the ecological yeah. systems. Why is that, Harry? Well, well, Einstein said, um, I, I, it's a quote from Einstein, that uh, if you hadn't bees, you could pack up finding the food you're used to now in four years. But it's, it's vital if you look at what happens in, in the food line how what's pollinated there's very few things that bees and i'm not talking about honeybees all sorts of bees and insects and everything pollinate food uh, so if they were wiped out you would have a serious problem um you know pe- people that breed uh, plants and and uh, vegetables and all sorts require pollination to have the seed etc etc and uh, the only other one of the few i can think of is maize that's pollinated by air and uh, uh, tomatoes that literally are pollinated by uh, bumblebees which are especially for the, not over here of course but uh, they they scatter the pollen in such a way so if you don't really need them to pollinate tomatoes and maize but look at the rest and uh, you, you get a for instance you get sometimes you get a, uh, an exhibition with beekeepers in it and they'll have a pile of tins of food and all sorts of things appertaining to what the bees are, will have pollinated in due course you know so they're vital absolutely vital and how under threat are they in the isle of man we're fortunate uh we have not got the diseases that uh, that will uh, cause great problems and losses of of colonies of bees whereas in the uk ireland uh, the rest of the world excepting say um uh, australia and isles and certain pockets of land in, in in scotland but otherwise, you've got this bromide that's originated from the Far East and has gradually spread across the world purely and simply by man. They, they wouldn't have arrived without man's help, the, the bromide. And they actually inject, by sucking the blood from a bee, they inject viruses in, which in turn the viruses uh, are the, the, the big problem. And if they've got this uh, 
this virus, that la- that that bee comes out without wings or part legs or something like that. So you can imagine what happens if it goes through a colony. They can't fly, they can't fly, and so it collapses. And there's other, there's 15 odd different viruses that do a similar thing. So, uh, I mean, fortunately, as you say, we're okay mm. over here at the moment. How do we make sure it stays that way? Yeah, well, uh, fortunately, the, since 1987, we had a, a, a law passed in the Isle of Man that said that you were not allowed to bring bees into the island, any shape or form. I'm not just saying honeybees, bumblebees, or any other sort. Um, and it's been reinforced by the EU um, in, in 11, I think it was 2011, it was, yes, August, and they agree with us. Um, the only thing is, um, if somebody is stupid enough and determined enough, I suppose they could bring colonies in, and then that in turn would then cause us a serious problem. And once it's, you've got Veromite in the Isle of Man, that would be a total and utter disaster. It would be a shambles. Uh, because what you, you you can control it, but you can't eradicate it. Once it's in, that's it. And you would then have a lot of beekeepers giving up like they did in the UK. Uh, at the moment, it's sort of more beekeepers are having a go, but it's not the same uh, way. I mean, we keep like the bees like the days of old, you know, whereas over there they got whack chemicals in, and at Christmas uh, near Christmas time they've got to lift the, the the lid off the hive and put acid on top of the frame so that it can kill off well a very weak acid may I add, but it, it kills the varroa off off the body of the bees. These are the mites and things like that, which we don't. We just uh, happily keep our bees. This this is probably a really ignorant question here, but it's something I've always wanted to ask you, Harry. With regards to stopping diseased bees coming here, they fly. I know, that's exactly what so I was going to say. How, how do yeah. you, because I know you're thinking about bringing colonies in, but presumably if there's one bee mm. that's carrying a mite, mm. it could come over and infect a colony, could it not? You mean flying? Yeah. Impossible. Oh, really? Well, the nearest point you've got is 17 and a half miles from the south of Scotland. Mm. Bees can't fly that far. I must say that ardent drones will fly eight miles and likewise queens to mate with them. But uh, that's about it. Um, you would never get a, 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 a bee or a, or a swarm, for instance, to fly over from 17 and a half miles. It's just impossible. But they could come on a vehicle or something like that. Mm. And so that's why we have to be vigilant. And uh, hopefully that uh, we, somebody secretly doesn't bring anything in. Well, speaking of uh, bees travelling, you didn't see this, Beth, but before we came on air, Harry produced something from his pocket, and oh. it's it's the way that bees are transported, and it's this wonderful little plastic container. It's only about sort of I don't know what maybe four inches in size, and it's it's got a sliding top on it, and you put you put a queen bee in this, yes. do you? Yes. And some drones as well. No, no, not drones. No. Uh, you put a, a mated queen in, and uh, you put candy in one end, which is like fondant, in a little box end there. And you put um, five or six worker bees in to look after her. Mm-hmm. And then you put in a, a, uh, close it up, put it in an envelope, or you put three or four in the one envelope with lots of holes in, and you post it. <laughs> Can about, you imagine being posted in an envelope? Yeah, special <laughs> delivery, of course. And it's about... From between four and four and a half past, you go to the the um, post office, say St John's or Peel or whatever where I live, and uh, the following day thereafter, between seven and nine in the morning, they'll receive that that package of bitcoins. That's incredible. And special that, bee livery. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Be aware, oh. you know. <laughs> uh, tell me why you had a bee attached to a thread from your trousers. <laughs> 
that was in 1973, actually. You remember the day well. I'm sure you <laughs> would. Yes, on, on the Rowney Golf Course when we had uh, the renowned uh, deceased beekeeper called Beewolf Cooper. He actually altered his name by the deed poll to, uh, to actually have a, um, a, a, the name Beewolf Cooper put added to it. But anyway, he was, a, he was quite a, a, a character. In fact, he was a character because... It, um, I'll give you tell you a story about it. On the round, he used to lie on his back, looking up in the air, and people used to see what the blazes are going on there. And it was him lying on his back, looking at the drones going backwards and forwards, because it's a drone assembly area, you see. Anyway, we knew this. And in '73, the Biber, the British Ivy Breeders Association at that time, came over and they had the conference in Port Erin, and uh, to uh, emphasise the point that it was a drone assembly. I provided them with a Virgin Queen, and and they went to the uh, airport and got a, a Met balloon, and I I had to take some bits of my trouser uh, cotton, and we tied the Virgin Queen via my the cotton of my trousers onto the balloon, and I used <laughs> I brought my fishing rod with me, small, and we let the line out, and as it went out, all the drones assembled, and there's a lot of photographs, and it is recorded that particular incident. And I have photographs to prove it anyway. <laughs> we need to get some of those and put them on our pages. That is just priceless. Oh. Yeah, it's, it, it is, yeah. You will have just heard on the news. Um, a new pressure group has formed. It's in response to the calls for modernisation of the abortion laws on the island. Uh, they met for the first time last night. Uh, there was a guest speaker there as well. Alex, you were there. Can you just tell us a little bit about what happened? Yes, absolutely, Christia. Thanks very much for having me on the show for the first time too. It's a, it's oh, it's your debut. It is, yeah, my debut. <laughs> Well, it seems to me anyway that this this group has been formed in sort of a direct response to a group called CALM, which many people will remember as uh, standing for the Campaign for Abortion Law Modernisation. That was founded back in April, and its core aim is to bring the Isle of Man's rules on terminating pregnancy in line with the UK's 1967 Abortion Act. Now, we'll get on to all that a little bit later. In In a nutshell, CALM have gathered a fair bit of momentum in the last four months, and so in retaliation, here have arrived. They're a similarly acronym-based association. That stands for Humanity and Equality in Abortion Reform. And in a nutshell, they think the island's abortion laws are either fine as they are, or as some supporters expressed, too liberal. They believe no abortion can be regarded as truly humane, and indeed that Britain has itself a lot to learn from Manx law in terms of safeguards against the practice, as, in, as, as well as what they call birth equality. Now that's interesting in itself because from what Carl was saying they believe it's the opposite. They believe that actually mm. we're far behind uh, the UK's laws. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just a quick reminder of what the current laws are in the Isle of Man. Abortion it is legal here in some very limited circumstances but it's quite a difficult uh, thing to, 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 to obtain permission for. So most women instead will travel across to the UK. They'll often take a day trip over to Liverpool, pay for a procedure at a private clinic. That can cost up to as, as much as £2,000, actually. So a very expensive pe uh, practice, especially for people on the margin. Uh, it's legal in cases where the pregnancy risks causing what they call grave permanent injury to either a woman's physical or mental health that needs to be signed off by both a consultant gynecologist of which there are only four on the island as well as a consultant psychiatrist of which there are eight and there are very lengthy waiting lists and that means the whole process can actually take more than six weeks now it's estimated that about 105 women traveled off island for abortions last year which of course calm 
demonstrated in quite a powerful process mm-hmm. protest outside Tinwald um, with 105 wire coat hangers. Mm. Oh, horrible image. So yeah. how have Calm actually reacted to the, the formation of this group? Well, I, I, as expected, Calm have reacted with Calm. This hasn't been a fiery debate in, in, in any sense of the word. They've released a few sort of well-timed press statements so far um, as news of here grew in momentum. Um with things like, as we've heard on the news as well, the, the, the helpline for women who might use undercover kind of shady and unsafe methods to achieve uh, abortions at home. It will be interesting to see how Calm react now, though, especially after one of last night's visiting speakers, Lord Alton of Liverpool, described Calm as anything but Calm in their sort of what, what he termed a desensitised approach to what he believes is an intrinsically violent and harmful practice. That's very interesting. Now, uh, what is going to happen next on the back of all of this then? What, what's likely to happen now? Well, here on the Isle of Man, we're not too well versed in in the concept of pressure groups. We don't really have too many lobbies. We, we certainly don't have a party system of politics, but but this is a step more, more towards that, that lobbying, lobbying system, which you see a lot of in the UK and in America. We see very, very many single interest groups representing all sorts of things, you know, from... Uh, reinvestigating drug policy to criminal justice to just about everything in between. Political pressure is probably set to mount here now. You can see both sides starting to try and get prospective MHKs on side. We are, of course, slap bang in the middle of an election. Some candidates have come out in favour, some candidates have come out against. So it's it's kind of amassing weaponry, if you like, in a, in a, purely, um, in a purely political sense. As I say, there's not really been it, it, abortion itself hasn't really been much of a political issue on the island for many years. It's been kind of one of those things that our politicians have liked to ignore in the hope that it goes away. I think it's fair to say, but now it will be. I think this is set to become a wedge issue, as it is in the UK, the US, and indeed the rest of the world. I suppose at the end of the day, if you have one pressure group, the important thing now is that with here starting up, you have balance. You know, you have this, there's two sides to to this. And although they're very, very complicated, there's an awful lot to consider, at least with this now, there are the two sides that are represented. Well, yes, absolutely. And whichever side of the argument that you fall on, you can't deny that balance is essential in mm-hmm. any wedge issue. Um, of course, um, uh, there is a lot of support for the here movement so far. Uh, probably over 100 people packed out the inaugural meeting last night at the Manx Legion Club and all of them except one, just one who stood up at the end to sort of softly challenge the group and question them on a few points of their policy were in agreement with the points made. You mentioned balance, of course, and and I would agree. Um, To be be honest, I expected the cliched image of flag-waving conservative pro-lifers there last night, but it, it was far from that. There were equal numbers of men and women there who are young and old people there, religious and secular people there, people from a a very wide range of backgrounds. The group is quite clearly operating and has been established with the main intent of providing counter-pressure to the calm movement. Eight minutes past two now. Earlier this year, a hard-hitting video featuring the mother of a motorcyclist who died on the mountain road was released. In it, she describes the impact her son's death has had on his whole family. And this video also features footage of the head-on collision which claimed his life, and it's been put together by the Isle of Man Constabulary's Road Policing Unit. The head-on crash claimed the lives of two visiting riders, 53-year-old German Christian Burkan and 22-year-old Lewis Clark. 
At a joint inquest, a verdict of accidental death was delivered. Here is a short extract from that video. My precious son was taken from me at 11.10am on a Sunday morning. He was carefree and innocent, doing what he loved to do the most in life, riding his motorbike. He wasn't racing or speeding. He was alcohol and drug free. He was loving life and living in the moment, just as he always did. He had travelled to the TT races just the way you are now, happy and laughing. He came home silent, broken and dead. My son, aged 22, came home in a coffin. Well, that was Lewis's mum, Beverly Clark. And this morning, she and other members of Lewis's family unveiled a plaque in his memory near the Black Hut where he died a year ago today. And Beverly is with us now. Thank you so much for being here, Beverly. How important was it for you and your family to mark the first anniversary of Lewis's death in this way? Very, very important to us. Lewis is gone. Lewis was taken from us far too early. Um, Your children are your future. We can't have any more celebrations with Lewis. We can't attend any more events or have any more fun times with him. So to mark his anniversary up on the mountain, on the road he loved, was very, very important. I just couldn't let Lewis just die on that cold, lonely road. I had to keep his little light shining. He was too precious just to let it go. And as I mentioned, you are here with members uh, of the members of your family and you're all wearing incredible T-shirts, which I think says on the front, Lewis Noodles Clark. It does, yes. Why is that? That's because um, when he used to come out, he come over here a few times for the TT races and he used to survive on chicken noodles because he used to spend all his money on petrol so he could get up on the mountain riding his motorbike. So what was Lewis like then? I mean, you say he lived for motorcycling. We heard in that short extract that it really was what he loved to do. Mm -hmm. Where did that obsession start? Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But he just got into motorbikes and he was just obsessed with them. It was his passion. Um, He was just so outgoing, full of energy, had a zest for life. And he just lived every day, just filled every moment. He didn't worry about tomorrow or what had happened yesterday. He just lived for the now. And this past year, Beverly, I can't imagine what it's been like for you all. I mean, how how do you put into words what you've been through as a family? The day we got that knock on the door saying that Lewis had been taken from us. Um, I, I didn't know how we were going to move on. I didn't know what we were going to do. It, it, it's just like his life had ended. It, it was just gone. A massive, massive, massive parts missing from our lives. Um, and we just got through every day, I think, just by trying to focus on the positives, just to try and celebrate. We had Lewis for 22 years, and he was a massive, massive part of our life, and we have such a cherished memory of him. And that he'll never be forgotten. We'll carry him forever with us. Well, after his death, um, as I said, you launched this campaign aimed at improving road safety for bikers mm-hmm. on the roads. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to do that? Because it was an incredibly brave decision, particularly to release footage of actually what happened. Um, I was approached by the Sergeant Stevie Lapsley um, to try and get together, if we could get together and do some safety, road safety Um, So together we decided to release this video. Um, It's a horrendous video. Um, It's not a very nice thing to see. But I wanted to try and get the message out there just to make people aware of the bikers, road users, just to make them aware. Yeah, go out, have fun, have a great time. You know, enjoy your bike, enjoy the road. 
but just keep safe you know just be aware of what's happening around you and if you're not fully committed to a maneuver please please don't do it it was a maneuver that wasn't corrected that day um and the other rider came onto lewis's side of the road and killed him head on um and it, i just want to say unless you're 100 percent, please please don't do it i suppose beverly that the thing with this is how do you know how successful this campaign is because i mean hopefully people will see it and 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 pay heed to the message and so won't become a victim of what you've had to go through yeah yeah there's been massive discussion wherever you know it's been posted there has been massive massive discussion um and i did have one gentleman he came back to me and he did say that he'd rode to work that morning and he'd committed some you know bad maneuvers he'd got home he'd seen the video and he did uh, write to me and say, Mrs. Clark, I promise you I will not speed again. Um, I looked at my three-year-old son and thought, he needs a daddy in his life. Um, and just that one comment to me means the world. Yeah, it really, really does. Even if it just stops one family from suffering the way we are now, um, it will be a success. And what plans, Beverly, have you got to continue with this campaign? with uh, massive plans i'd like to get it in some uh into some educational settings um i'd just like to face people and say this could be our mum stood here don't let it happen you know just think you know and unveiling that plaque this morning um with conicumans there one of lewis's heroes yeah I mean, what was that like for all of you oh massive it's it's lovely to think of him still up there on his mountain yeah we've just got a little place where we can go and visit and be with him just on his mountain, on his road, just where he loved to be all the time. I'm sure some people will wonder how you can really come back to the place that did claim his life, though. Yeah, this is Lewis. Lewis loved the Island Man. He he was actually looking at trying to move over here. He loved it so much. He loved the people. He made lots of friends. And this, this, uh, this island, this is where Lewis was the happiest. And this is where I feel that Lewis would want to be, up on his mountain with the plaque. And uh, Lucy, you've been looking at another story that's been making the headlines today. Yes, I have. In the news today, it's been suggested by the Children's Society annual report that young girls are becoming more unhappy from the ages of around 12 to 15. Statistics show 14% are not happy with their life as a whole and a massive 34% are not happy with their overall appearance. This is a hugely worrying story. Interestingly, the study has found that boys' sense of happiness has remained stable. Here are some girls sharing their views on the story. Say you post a picture on Instagram or Snapchat and you think it's really like you think you're really pretty or you really like that one, but then you've got a nasty comment saying, oh, that's ugly or something really negative, then you don't really want to put a picture on again. You always have to impress like your friends or like they, it feels like they will like stop being your friend. When you get to this age, you think about boys and boyfriends, so they're under pressure for that, so they want to look good because other boys think that oh other girls look better at school you're expected to like do really well but you're also expected to look nice but you're also expected to like have friends but then it's hard to do all of them at the same time i think that boys have probably the same pressures as girls but they manage it in a very different way because girls are more sensitive i wear makeup and wear nice clothes for myself i don't do it to impress anyone else and it would make me really unhappy if I felt like I had to wear that stuff because someone else was going to judge me if I didn't. 
The growing use of social media platforms on a day-to-day basis I feel could have a lot to answer for. Being a 17-year-old girl myself, I know what it's like to scroll down your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feed, etc. and be shocked and in awe of these fashionably dressed models and celebs who seem to be leading the most perfect lives, which gives young girls a hugely unrealistic view on the real world out there. My friends have given their view on this story. Antonia said body image and how much of a girl's worth can be determined on how she looks. Also, Annie mentioned after a breakup, there is pressure to get that perfect selfie online. So what do you think? Are you at an age where you can relate to this problem or have a daughter, a relative who can? How worried are you about hearing news like this? Get in touch with us this afternoon, 166-177, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. I think this is a hugely worrying story. It's mm-hmm. one, again, that we, that we hear time and time again um, these days. And I think... You're absolutely right, Lucy. I would say that that pressure driven by social media and having to look perfect, and you see so many young girls whose profile pictures, you know, they are just, they're beautiful, but they're very posed. There's, you know, not a great deal natural about them. And that must have a huge influence on how young people feel. Massive. And I use social media every day. I wake up in the morning, I look at my phone. The last thing I do at night is look on Facebook, Snapchat, all these social media platforms and I think it's always there in front of us and there's not much we can do to unsee them because they're always there. The problem is as well is that, you know, just one comment can affect you. And I remember when um, makeup artist Kimberly Barrage came in to talk to us and she was saying how when she was little, someone had made some comment to her about the way she looked and she'd never forgotten it and it really made her paranoid. And so when you're young and you're at that impressionable age, you know, and especially when you've got hormones flying around as well and, and someone says something about a photo or something of yours and comments on it, that's got to really affect you. And the sad thing is if someone pays a compliment, you sort of forget it. Yeah. But if they say something negative, that always sticks in your mind. I wonder how much of this can be explained away by hormones and the traditional teenage angst. Because, you know, it is a time where you're more self-conscious. I mean, I'm sure we remember that from, from our day when there wasn't a Facebook. <laughs> Don't know why I said it like that. Uh, but, you know, there, there is that still that pressure to look a certain way. And I think that's just a part of growing up it's just amplified by the fact it's so public now yeah that's exactly it. it is amplified by how public it is because now rather than just having your friends to look to or maybe i'm going to give my age away now magazines like just 17 and that kind of thing <laughs> oh. where there may have been pictures of celebrities bliss. bliss there you go pictures of celebrities that looked fantastic you know there was only that there wasn't every three seconds or more you have a new image popping up a new image popping up and it's not just that they're images of people it's, it is a lot of them do say something along the lines of you need to look like this you should have that why don't you use these things you know make false eyelashes and fake hair and all this kind of thing and it, i think it is a huge deal now it is a lot different to when we were growing up definitely um, I've been looking into to what the psychologists say about this um, and one of the, the things they say is that parents can help their children, particularly thinking about girls, by praising them for acts of kindness rather than their appearance. It's a difficult one though, isn't it? Because I think, I feel as a mother, um, having a young daughter, it, it's almost instinctive to comment, you know, when she puts her makeup on so beautifully as she sees her mother do um you know to sort of to comment on her appearance and I think oh my gosh am I just stirring up problems for the future Uh, it's just it is really difficult to know how to handle that sort of situation but and you know I don't know 
it's a balance, I guess, isn't it, between praising them for both sides. So it's either, you know, if you're going to praise them for if they've like tried to smear their lipstick on the way you do, Beth, and, uh, <laughs> or, or if they're just, you know, sort of running about in their adventure gear and, you know, sort of out and about and the, with, with no makeup on and just, you know, sort of natural, praise them then as well. Because it's about, and it's also about who they are as people. It's not just about the outward appearance. It's, you know, you're beautiful through and through. This is where Alice Brindley always has a go at me because I, um, you know, you get the traditional fairy stories. Um, and again, this is something my young daughter absolutely loves them all. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, all of that. And when it gets to the part where the prince says, oh, oh will you marry me? I've fallen in love with you, will you marry me? I was like, well, you, you think I'm clever and, and I'm kind and I'm all these things and I add all these little bits onto the story and he thinks oh. I'm being stupid. But it's because I don't want her to grow up thinking it is all about looks. Yeah, I think that's really important. Good idea, Beth. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So I was right. <laughs> yes. Right, so why do we find it so hard to talk about money? In Britain, it seems we're actually quite a generous bunch when it comes to lending cash, but we're not so good at asking for it back later, even sometimes to the point of damaging friendships. Uh, a few days ago, I spoke to psychologist Emma Kenny about a new app that's been launched to help us get over this hurdle. I started by asking her, though, just how much money we Brits are actually lending. We're lending £22.8 billion pounds a year off friends and family and colleagues, which is more than the whole of Iceland. GDP. On one level, that can quite sound quite a big, big figure, and obviously it is, but at the same time, you have to remember that it's a really good thing to be lending your friends and family money because actually, often that saves a great deal of interest rates with bank, but more importantly, means that family members can do things like get on the housing ladder. Certainly, as a mother, that's something that really concerns me. And also, you know that millennials are leaving the university with a great deal of debt. So, I'm not saying you shouldn't be lending people money, you should. But it's how you do it and how to avoid the pitfalls because the big problem is that lots of people, 58% of people actually in the Isle of Man, feel really bad asking for money back and that causes friction and 7% of people in the Isle of Man have actually said that they've lost friends over it. So it's not that you shouldn't lend money, it's how to do it most effectively. Presumably we find it easier to ask family than to ask friends for money back. Ironically, no. Actually, people feel the same kind of level of concern around friends and family in this, you know, in the same way because the main problem is that we feel that the person we've lent money should feel grateful towards us. So when we lend the money, the psychology behind that is I'm a good person, I'm lending you this money, you should know when to pay me back. So the closer proximity your relationships are, the more expectation and gravity you have on that. So when, for example, your son or daughter doesn't pay you back, you can find it very awkward to ask for it because firstly, you're aware of their situation financially. And secondly, you feel that they should automatically know how to send you that money or give you that money back or start the conversations. The problem is we're not good around those things. Um, one of the reasons I've got Behind Circle, which is obviously this app that I'm talking about today, is the idea that we're kind of creating an option where people can send and give money very easily without having to have that conversation. So an option to actually prompt somebody to pay you back without necessarily having to engage in the conversation itself, which is causing people problems. It's not that people won't pay you back, it's that unless you ask, they may not. Now, we're actually talking about, because, I mean, I, I would have thought we'd, we'd, we'd lend sort of small figures, but you're mentioning the likes of deposits for houses yeah. and things. That's a large amount of money. Yeah, I mean, I think that anybody who's had children in the last 20 years is 
acutely aware that getting on the housing ladder is very, very difficult. So things like deposits are one of the things that parents are often giving their children, but also on a smaller level, you know, we were having a conversation. So the guy who's a director of Circle Jack was talking before about the fact that very often these problems arise when, let's say you go out for a night with your friend and you put the bill at the bar because your friend's not getting paid to the following Monday. Often, they're the amounts of money that unfortunately go amiss. You're talking up to £500 a year people are losing just by having those conversations with people where they agree to pay for something at the bar but then fail to give it you back on the Monday. So the reason that it's quite helpful to have these prompts like this app is because you can start sending little pictures with a picture of a pint that says, you know, can you pay me about that tenner I lent you on Friday? That offers us an option to break down the difficult conversations but as far as lending goes like I'm really pro family members lending money I've had money lent to me over the years by my parents and I've lent money to my family members and I think that's something that's very important for connected relationships you know that you trust each other and you trust that you'll give that money back the problem like I said happens when you may think you're getting a payment back but you haven't actually created that contract and I always talk about Judge Judy in these contexts because she makes it very clear if you are lending to friends and families you need to make it a contract you need to make it a true scenario where they realize the seriousness of giving you the money back okay so with regards this app then how is that going to help us it's brilliant i'm not a techie let me tell you i'm not coming from any tech side here i'm just here to talk about the psychology but this app is fantastic i've got it so instead of paying banks and charges and all the things that go on when you're dealing with big banks this has kind of cut all of that out. It's really ethical. It's all about getting money to people that you want to lend money to or receive money from really simply. You download it, Circle app, it's like get it on Circle Pay from the App Store or on Android, um, Google Play. You can actually get those really, really easily. It's free. You take a picture of your bank card, it registers the notes, your friend does the same. You can just transfer money instantly as long as you've got their phone number and email. That makes the transaction effortless. Secondly, it means that people can't make excuses about banks being enclosed, being closed. But more importantly, and the thing I love most about this is you can do it all over the world. So you're not going to have the commission fees, you know, the exchange rate fees that banks charge you. So it's literally costing you nothing but giving you more. And I think that anything out there technologically that's about enhancing the experience and giving you more than you would ordinarily get from big corporate organisations, that just works for me. But most importantly, I just love the fact that when my boy's out and they're playing or they're shopping and they need some extra cash, it's literally done within moments. That is really beneficial. And I think that any mum and dad out there probably empathise with the fact that we will be the bank of mother and father for quite a long time. So having something that's accessible but also recorded is really, you know, a really efficient way of doing it. And is it helping people psychologically because it's taking away that sort of interaction? Yes, and that's the thing. If you receive a nice little picture or a GIF image and it's somebody kind of, you know, with a pint... Then it reminded me a little note saying, can you can you give me that £10 back? You know, you've broken the ice, you've asked for it, and you've reminded the person with a picture why they're paying you back. It's the same in any set of circumstances. But the other side of it is, and I have to come in from the psychological side here, I kind of like this app because you can do random acts of kindness with it. 
I believe that making yourself feel better on a daily basis can be just doing something really sweet for another human being. It doesn't even have to be somebody who's a massively close connection. You know, have you noticed that girl in the office who just doesn't seem to be that happy at the moment? Can you send her a fiver to go and get herself a coffee? Have you got a neighbour that, you know, you know loves flowers? Send them a tenner and they can go and buy themselves a bunch. You know, those kind of little random acts of kindness on a regular basis enhance our own lives as well as enhancing the lives of those around us. So I think this app's really lovely because you can do that. And at the same time, you know, for people like myself, I always give money. I'm one of those really boring people. I don't give presents. I'm not got I'm not very good at thinking about the appropriate present. I always send money to people, but it's nice to be able to send like, you know, a picture of a bunch of flowers with a £15 attached for the birthday. And it saves me the price of a birthday card, if I'm honest, as well. So I think technology is really helping to have those difficult conversations, but enhance our experience of sharing and giving money. And also, obviously, the most important, which is in the long term, getting the cash back. Brilliant. So it's bringing joy too. Uh, so just remind us where we can get hold of this app. I mean, like any app, you know, go on the go on the app store. If you've got an iOS, you know, you download it, Circle um, Circle Pay, and it's the same with Google Play. You just go on the Android store. And again, it's a free app. It doesn't cost you a penny. But the point is that it will save you money, particularly when you're looking at transferring money overseas, for example. So, you know, like I said, learn to have those difficult conversations as well. That's one of the things I'd leave you with. Learn to have those difficult conversations. It might be a little bit of a, you know, it might be nerve wracking initially, but it really does pay dividends in the long term. Well, um, yesterday, something we talked about on the show was the annual report from the Children's Society, and that revealed that more than a third of 10 to 15-year-old girls were unhappy with their appearance, 14% unhappy with their lives as a whole. The proportion for boys, incidentally, stayed the same as the previous year when this study was done, 20% and 11% respectively. Yeah, looking at what what's making kids so unhappy at such a young age and what might help to turn them around, uh, the BBC's Newsbeat have actually started a campaign and they've asked their older listeners, uh, so that's still younger than us, Beth, <laughs> what advice uh, that they would give their younger selves. And there's been some really lovely reactions to this. So we've sort of taken this and run with it as well. Um, for instance, on their site, 28-year-old Lauren from Norfolk said, embrace life, embrace being yourself, enjoy the little things don't worry about that boy you meet a much nicer one later in life and you don't have to please everyone all of the time and essentially all of the sort of comments on the news beat page seem to be sort of about saying don't worry so much about what everyone thinks about you but we decided to throw it out to you guys we put it on our facebook um to ask for people's comments on what they might say to their younger selves and it's had a huge reaction hasn't it i think the thing that that shows is that a lot of people have regrets about how they felt when they were younger mm-hmm. and there is that sense I think when we go through some of the, the comments that we've had that most people think you know we worried about nothing yeah. and actually just enjoy your lives a little bit more um, we've had a, an email from Pam who said I would tell myself that what other people think about you does not matter not how you dress the colour of your hair if you're fat or you're thin short tall black or white just so long as you yourself are nice to others and you don't harm them in any way if after using this as your base rule in life and others appear to have issues with you then walk away from them it's their problem not yours uh mandy says don't sweat the small things um emma says upcoming lottery numbers that's quite good very one, good actually um and ian says i tell myself simply you're going to be okay Oh, that's really nice. Kate says, don't post all your inner thoughts and feelings online for everyone to read and see. Keep some stuff for people to actually find out from talking to you. Jackie says, don't worry about what others think. Do what is right for you. Follow your heart and apply the bleep it rule every time things don't go to plan. I've got it now. And just one more because this made me laugh. Uh, Our Howard said, oh, for heaven's sake, just grow up. And Joseph responded, no, grow old, not up. 
I'm with Joseph yeah, on that one. Yeah, definitely. I really like this uh, advice from Frank to his younger self. Don't wait for your ship to come in. Swim out and meet it. That's great. And uh, just just a couple more of those comments from our Facebook. Katie says, stand up to those who feel it's okay to bully you for any reason. Don't bottle things up. Parents and friends are there for a reason. Oh, and don't mix hooch and lager. And Marianne says, follow your heart and not someone else's dreams. Love whichever journey you choose. Be brave, be bold and love you and your life. And I think that leads in really nicely um, to the next guest this morning. I spoke with um, Bianca Miller. She's a name you may recognise. She was a contestant on 2014's The Apprentice. Uh, she reached the final to pitch her business idea of a new line of skin colour tights. She didn't actually win, but despite not winning and having to hear Alan Sugar, of course, utter the venomous line, you're fired, Bianca was not deterred and she launched the range herself under her own steam and is now an extremely successful businesswoman. She's also passionate about inspiring young people to pursue new opportunities and fulfil their dreams and so is a fitting guest for the Global Community Foundation's gala evening at the end of this month. When I spoke to her this morning ahead of a visit to the island I wanted to find out about the ethos behind her company The Bee Group and asked her to explain the idea of personal brands. So The Bee Group is um, a personal branding business so we deliver workshops and uh, training and coaching on developing your personal brand which really means marketing yourself so how you communicate, dress, how you network um, and how you build kind of your online brand kind of portfolio um, and really, it came from me being you know, in the city, working with graduates and realizing some people were excelling much faster than others. Um, and some people just weren't able to get that promotion or get that opportunity because they just weren't putting their best foot forward or being noticed for the good work they were doing. So do you think it's important for, for young people to start being sort of business savvy very early? Yeah, I think it's important for all people. So we we um, place an emphasis on providing personal branding services throughout the life cycle. So kind of from a school age or graduate level where you're trying to get a job to when you get the job, how do you keep that job? How do you keep climbing the career ladder? Or if you choose to change career, how do you do that? Because I think not enough people realize how important their brand is. And the reality is people buy from people. So whether it's from an entrepreneurial setting or whether it's working in an organization or being entrepreneurial, you have to be able to show who you are, what you do, why you do it, and really hopefully create a brand that resonates with people and really shows your credibility. What do you think are are some of the obstacles that people usually come up against? I think one of the major obstacles I found when I'm speaking to people is just being comfortable. So, you know, they have a job, they may not like the job very much, but they're comfortable. They know what is expected of them. They know what the office environment is like. They know what their colleagues are like, and they know they've got that steady income at the end of the month. And it's often that kind of level of comfort that stops them from really going out there and trying to achieve their dreams or make a change. And speaking of going out there and trying to achieve your dreams, uh, people will remember you, of course, from The Apprentice. I have to ask you, what was it that made you want to put yourself through that? <laughs> um, well, if I'm if I'm totally honest, I um, I've always been a fan of the show for the you know the ten eleven years it's been on. And uh, when I was you know too young to be on the show myself, I was at home shouting at the TV, thinking I could do it better than most of the adults on there. And then when I was old enough to be on it, I thought, no, I'm not that stupid, to be quite frank. Um, <laughs> 
Um, and then uh, my husband came home one day and suggested that I apply for it. You know, you've got a great idea for a hosiery brand. Um, and why not try and get the £250,000 and Lord Sugar on board to try and make that dream a reality? But he, uh, he kept sending me the application via you know, text, email and WhatsApp until I finally just applied to kind of get him off my back. And when I went to that audition... I realised what an amazing opportunity it was. And, you know, when they said, do you want to be on the show? I thought, wow, yeah, this is great. You've put through the ringer, really, aren't you? It must have been a good way, in a way, of finding out even more about yourself than perhaps you knew before. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely a test of, of your personality and your willing and your determination because it's not easy. I mean, what you see on TV, it kind of looks like it's you know, fairly easy, bit of entertainment, but actually... I think it's edited quite heavily on the side of entertainment. In reality, you're doing, you know, 10, 15-hour days in front of the camera, making really quick decisions with, you know, a heavy rule book and nightmarish people to work with. And it's not easy. And, um, you know, I think it it really does show, your you know, your character and your determination when you can get anywhere near the end, um, let alone kind of to the final because that's the thing, isn't it? Because I suppose although you're with teams of people doing these different projects as you mm. go along, they all have a personal agenda, don't they, at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah. The reality is the formula is if you work together in your team, your team don't lose, you all get through. But in reality, everyone's just competing against each other and trying to make sure that if you know things go badly wrong, they can say, well, I did this, I did that, I did this, and kind of just throw each other under the bus. And so, you know, as much as you might think they're your friends or, you know, they're working with you as a team, more often than not, they're, they've got their own agenda, as you say, and, you know, they're trying to make sure they get to that last spot. And um, that's kind of always there. But your husband was obviously right to push you forward because you did get all the way up to the final and then you did launch your own business on the back of it. So when I didn't win, I kind of had a choice at that point. Do I continue with my first business, which is, you know, doing well, or do I go have a go at having a second business and all the you know the stress that comes with that i don't want to be that person which often is the case on the apprentice that says this is a fantastic idea with its you know low sugars money but if it's my own money it's maybe not such a great idea so <laughs> i wanted to prove that you know sometimes things don't go to plan but you have to have that plan b and you have to really have the determination to make it a reality so do you think if you hadn't gone on the apprentice that you wouldn't have done it Probably not, if I'm honest, because I think um, it is a field I have, you know, limited. Even now, I'm still learning about retail and what what is expected in retail. Um, so it is tough. It's a really tough industry. And so, luckily, I guess by being on the Apprentice, I had almost a ready-made client base or people who had some awareness of the concept and my idea and who I was. And that has really helped to propel the brand forward. And, you know, even when I launched, so I launched last November online um, and we got great responses from our customers. And that's all I really wanted was to create something that I was proud of that solved a problem and that people were happy to buy. And so now, you know, we've just um, launched in Topshop. Um, So that's going to be in eight stores across the UK and the US. And that's just a fantastic achievement. Brilliant. And, and as we said at the top of the show, you know, you, you look at your website and there's so much on there that is about inspiring other people because you seem like someone who really wants other people to achieve and succeed in what they do. Why is that important to you? Because I think it's, you know, I think it's important because life is, you know, 
quite short. It's not an infinite period of time. And so in that time, you really need to enjoy what you do. And I think it's so important that if you have an idea or you have a dream, it doesn't matter whether it's in entrepreneurship. I'm not out there telling everyone to be entrepreneurs because I just don't think that's a reality. But if you have something you're really passionate about and you want to do, you need to do it. And the worst that can happen is you try and you fail. But I'd never wanted to be that person who didn't try and look back and thought, gosh, why didn't I try that? And so I kind of, um, you know, always try and push people to think about what their goals are, what is it they want to do, and try and encourage them to really make that step forward. Um, and that's why, you know, myself and my husband, both entrepreneurs, that's why we wrote the book that we're um, going to be showcasing at the uh, the Isle of Man event is uh, called Self Made. And it's really about helping business people kind of at a micro business level and a startup level understand how to start a business. And it says as well on, on the information about the event, which is on the, the 30th of September, that uh, we could be mm. a part of your upcoming book. The book is fundamentally myself and my husband's hints and tips from our journey on how we think people should start a business and, and the kind of ways of doing it. But in addition to that, we've got um, interviews with uh, real life entrepreneurs and also kind of business cases. I really want the Isle of Man to be involved. And so we thought there was probably some fantastic business people out there in the Isle of Man who'd have a story they want to share. And we want to give people in the Isle of Man an opportunity to be a part of that book. Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. As ever, if there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show or something you think we should be talking about, then we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via email. It's womentoday at manxradio.com or you can go to the Women Today Facebook page, like and follow the page while you're there or we're also on Twitter. It's at MRWomenToday. Until next time, goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.